Oh, I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited always to come home, always to come back to the place where God saved me, God called me, uh, to, to be able to stand behind the pulpit of a man I consider to be my hero and mentor. It is always a blessing to come back home. Uh, I'm excited to be here. You guys have encouraged me from the moment we walked in the door. We've had a great time of just worship, and I pray God has already started uh, to take His plow and just tenderize our heart for His Word. You know, that's what worship's for. And, and that's something that a lot of times uh, Hillcrest just doesn't understand. Heidi will tell you, uh, when you go to other churches and you don't have the talent that we have, and you don't have the people that are dedicated like we have, worship tends to just kind of be pushed off to the side as if it's not something that that's really that important. But I believe God uses worship to tenderize our hearts. Uh, when the people of Israel came to the temple in Jerusalem, God had singers out there and had songs for them to sing as they came up the temple steps. I, I mean, I believe God uses that to tenderize our hearts. And thank you, choir. Thank you, uh, Travis. Thank you, everybody that was involved. Uh, that, that was a blessing. So uh, let, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started today. Pray with me. God, as we come before you today, God, we're all excited. God, we can feel your spirit in the air. God, you give us the enthusiasm to wake up in the morning. God, you give us the glory uh, to be able to just look at the sun and praise you. Uh, God, you give us the ability to come here to a, a place of worship of this magnitude and of this beauty. God, you have graced us with so many blessings, Lord, that we don't even have time to sit here and thank you for them. Uh, but God, I just pray today, Lord, as we come to this time, God, we've worshipped you. God, we've explained your glories. God, we're about to open your word. And Lord, I know for certain in a crowd this big, in a room with this many people, God, there is someone here. There are probably many someones who are lost and on their way to hell. There are many someones, God, who don't understand how amazed that we can be, that don't get how we can get excited, that don't understand, God. And so today, Lord, I pray, Lord, not through my words, not through my power, but God, through your power, Lord, let this be a day that you just break through on us. Let this be a day that you break into their lives and God, show them why it's so amazing and why grace is so free and why grace is so beautiful. God, let this be a day, Lord, that we just worship and praise you. God, bring them home. Bring the lost home. God, bring the saint that's been a backslider home. God, bring them home. Put your coat on them. Put your ring on them. So accept them into the family, God. And God, let this be a day, Lord, that we look back on and we say, today, God was among us. God, we turn this worship service over to you, Lord. We turn your word over to you because you are far greater in it than any of us are. And Lord, we want to give you all the praise and glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we get started today, I want to read this uh, quote to you. I'm going to try my best to read it uh, the way that I, I read it in my heart. It, it's a very, uh, it's almost like a poem to me, um, but it's talking about the majesty and supremacy of God's virtues. This is what it says. It says, what then are you, my God? What but the Lord God? For who is the Lord but the Lord? Or who is God save our God, most highest, most good, most potent, most omnipotent, most merciful, most just, most hidden, yet most present, most beautiful, most strong, but yet stable, yet incomprehensible, unchangeable, yet all-changing, never new, never old, all-renewing, and bringing age upon the proud, and they know it not, ever working, ever at rest, yet still gathering, nothing lacking, supporting, filling, 
filling, overspreading, creating, nourishing and maturing, seeking yet having all things. You love without passion. You are jealous without anxiety. Repentant yet you do not grieve. You are angry yet you are serene. Your works, they are always changing yet your purpose is always unchanged. You receive again what you have found but yet you have never lost. Never in need yet always rejoicing in gains. Never covetous yet exacting interest. You receive over and above so that you can owe. And who has anything which is not yours? You pay debts owing nothing. You remit the debtor losing nothing. And what can I say now? My God, my life, my holy joy. Or what can any man say when he speaks of you? Yet woe to him that speaks not, since the mute are even the most eloquent. Those words were wrote down by a man named Augustine of Hippo around 400 A.D. in his confessions. And today as we look into the Word of God, this is what I want you to have. And this would really be the title of my sermon. I want you to have an honest assessment of humanity. An honest assessment of humanity. And before we can have an honest assessment of the created, we must have an honest assessment of the Creator. And there are not more beautiful words or, or, or more, a better way that I could express to you than the words that God spoke through St. Augustine through, that I just read to you. But if you will, open your Bible to Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Uh, I, I know uh, an end of a year assessment is something that all of us know about, isn't it? At your work has an end of the year assessment. Your boss calls you in. Uh, you've been working all, all year long for him. And everything that he's going to go over with you on that assessment, the questions that he has, everything depends on uh, your work ethic and your performance and what you've done. And I can go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to mention the family member because I've been told I'm not to use any family members anymore in my sermons. Uh, but there is a family member of mine who cannot stand year of the end or year end reviews or assessments. Uh, she just doesn't do well with them. She doesn't. She 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 doesn't like them. She doesn't think they're very accurate. Uh, and usually, this is how her assessments go. They, 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 you know, are you a great? Do you work well? Do you accomplish things? Do you get the job done? Excellent, supreme, uh, over and above. Do, do you um, do, do you show up on time? Do you leave when you need to? Do you, do you do all the little things that we need you to? Yes, you are great in that aspect. Do you work well with others? That's the one that she always has a problem with. That's the one that's always kind of been her Achilles heel. Uh, and, and so today, as we look, I, I, I think Romans chapter 3 is God's best. I, I believe if you want to know the true state of humankind, I, I believe if you want to know who you are in and of yourself, and listen, this is not just a sermon for the lost, although if you are lost, this sermon is going to hit you where you live. This is a sermon for the saved as well, because we need reminding sometimes. Amen. Sometimes God blesses us. Sometimes God works in us. Sometimes God takes a church on a hill that was going to close its doors and brings it to a church that's 3,000 in membership and 1,000 showing up every Sunday morning. And then we forget that we used to be the church that was about to close its doors. Sometimes we need an honest assessment of ourselves. We need God to remind us where we came from. Listen, amazing grace is not amazing anymore if you forget why you needed grace in the first place. 
It is well with my soul doesn't get you through the storms of life if you've forgotten that your soul is afflicted. When Amanda sings, Jesus rescues me, it doesn't mean as much anymore if you forgot why you needed to be rescued in the first place. And so Romans chapter 3 here, as we come to this, I believe Paul here has a beautiful assessment. And really it's not Paul, it's the Word of God. So it's God working through Paul. So God has given you the assessment of what, how He views humanity apart from Him. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is, how, this is how you stand before God right now at this very moment. If you're here today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but you're living a life of sin, you've gone so far back, you're not doing anything, that you are living this kind of life even though God has rescued you from it. And so as we come to Romans chapter 3, I want you to focus in on this main issue that Paul is looking at here. Look at Romans chapter 3 verse 8. He says, And not rather, as we have been slanderously reported. That word means to be blasphemed. We know what that means, right? When someone blasphemes God, they're speaking things that are not true about God. Paul's saying, people have, spro- have spoken blaspheming me. They've slandered me. And as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Let us do evil, that good may come. I just want to take this moment because you've got to understand this is what Paul's dealing with with the rest of these verses that we're going to look at today. Uh, this word uh, good here is the Greek word agathos. It's the Greek word agathos. There's two different kinds of word for good in Greek. One is kalos, which means beautiful. It means good. Uh, but it kind of gives the idea of, uh, of an apple, Right? If I take a fruit and I put a fruit here and I just bought this fruit, it's brand new, it's beautiful, it's good, I could take it, I could eat it. But if I leave this fruit here, if I leave it here and come back next week or two weeks or three weeks from now, no one's touched it, no one's bothered with it, what's going to happen to it? It's going to rot out, isn't it? It's going to be gross. It's not going to be edible. It's not going to be useful for me. That's one kind of good. That, that, that's, that's kind of good that it can be good today, but it can be bad tomorrow. Okay. This good right here that Paul's speaking of, and the word that he used, agathos, means to be inherently good. At the very core of who you are, it it is just good. And it will never be bad. It will never have an opportunity to be bad. It will never come to a place of being gross or disgusting or not being able to be used. And so what Paul here, the question he is answering is some people have said, hey, we can do evil because God has grace on us because all we have to do is say a prayer and because God will forgive us, we can continue to live in an evil lifestyle. We can continue to live however we want to live and God will still be inherently, intrinsically good and bless us in our lives. There will be no judgment that comes. There will be no anger, that wrath. We can continue to do evil. We can continue to live however we want to because we said a prayer when we were five years old and because everybody has told us that we are saved and that makes us intrinsically good. That's the the idea. That's the ideology Paul's working with here. And you got to remember the world he's living in. He's writing this to the Romans, isn't he? He's writing this to the Romans. Y'all with me? Y'all, come on now, come on. Uh, Do I need to get Jay back up here to get y'all woke up? Uh, y'all, y'all, come on with me, okay? He, got, he's speaking to the Romans, okay? Uh, the Romans were a society, and especially this church, it is planted in, in the most prosperous society in the world at the time. This church of Rome is right in the center of Rome. 
Uh, There's not another city that has more resources available to it. There's not another city that has more uh, educated people at the time. I mean, Rome is the center of attention. But it's also the center of complete, uh, just degrading, a devaluing of lifestyle. Anything that is opposed to God shows up in Rome. And so when Paul is writing to these people, he's dealing with this issue. He wants the Christians to know at Rome, you cannot continue to live evilly. You cannot continue to live in your old sins and in your old ways. You cannot even create new sins. If you have truly been bought, if God has truly worked in your life, you cannot expect that working to continue in your evil ways. When I compare this city of Rome to our day-to-day, I believe we see that same parallel. Maybe Lebanon doesn't have all the resources that other cities like New York City and Los Angeles and all those reasons, but when we look at it on a world scale, when we look at it compared to the rest of the world, you at Lebanon here have more resources than most of the rest of the world. You, you have better financial jobs. None of you had to wake up and worry about taking a shower this morning. None of you had to wake up, worry about if there was money in the bank account this morning. But what comes down to it and what Paul, the attitude that Paul is fighting here, I believe has creeped in to our church. I believe it has. I believe it's creeped into our church. That, that just because we show up, just because we come together, just because we are faithful to Sunday school and Wednesday night and Sunday night, uh, because we are faithful there, then I can go out on Monday. I can live how I want to on Tuesday. Uh, I can live whatever I want to do Thursday, Friday, Saturday can just be a blast. And then I can come in. I can put my suit on. I can put my tie on. I haven't been in my Bible all week. haven't been praying for the service all week. And I can come in here and I can raise my hands and I can glorify God and even though I've been living evil for all week long, I believe God will bless this church because of my faithfulness. I mean, I think that's the attitude that not just this church, but I believe the church in America is experiencing. We are conforming ourselves. We are allowing our lifestyles to come so close to this world that we are now living evilly, expecting God to do uh, inherently good things in us. And so Paul's, not, Paul's going to give us, he's going to break this down for us, okay? So skip to verse 10 with me, and this is where I want to begin. Verse 10 through 12, that we're going to look at three verses, and then we're going to go into invitation. All right, three verses, we'll go into invitation. Look, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11 says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Verse 12, They are all gone out of the way, and they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Real quick, look at this. See how verse 10 and verse 12, they both end with that idea of no, not one. Uh, this is called, uh, the technical term is called an inclusio. That would be like Paul put big old brackets. He wanted to draw your attention to this section. He put big old brackets. He, he, he starts and ends uh, this idea with the idea of no, not one. So what does that tell us? I mean, come on, y'all are Bible students. That, you know that means every single person falls under this category. Every single one of us falls under this category. No, not one. No, not one. But as we look at our assessment, each and every time that we have a peer review and we have an assessment, usually they start off uh, with, with the general score, don't they? Uh, whatever it is, you know, hey, we think overall you've been fair this year. Overall, you've been good this year. Overall, you've been supremely excellent this year. You just don't work well with people. I mean, whatever it is, we, we, we have that, that overgeneralization, that, 
that, that idea here. And that's what God gives us here in verse 10. Look, he says, as it is written, there are none righteous. None. From the very beginning, you want to know where you stand before God? You want to know where you stand before Him in and of yourself, by yourself, with your flesh, remove the Spirit of God from you? You're not righteous. No, not one. I love the way Isaiah says it. Isaiah 64, 6 talks about that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And you say, Jared, we know this. Jared, we, we, we've heard this. I didn't know this part. But do you know what Isaiah meant when he said filthy rags? Some of y'all about to get disgusted and some of y'all about to get mad about what I'm about to say. When Isaiah talked about filthy rags, he was talking about a menstruous cloth that women used to, women used to use. Think about that. When, when God looks at our life, when God looks at humanity apart from himself, apart from his spirit, just humanity in and of its own, when God looks at it, if you want a picture of what God sees, Isaiah 64, 6 says that God sees a menstruous cloth rag that's been used to clean up the vile mess and disgustingness. That's what God sees. And some of y'all are probably offended by that. Some of y'all are thinking, man, now I'm going to have to explain to my child what that means, Jerry. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You ought to be thanking me. You ought to be thanking me. You want to know why? Because this gives you the opportunity to really show uh, your child what it looks like to be a sinner. Your child may not have come to Christ. Your child may not have ever accepted the Lord, but maybe you are praying for them and maybe God is going to plant that in their minds and they're going to come up to you and say, what is Jerry talking about? A mystery is right. What does that look like? And you can tell them it's vile, disgusting. And that's how God views you if you've never came to him in repentance. That's how God views us. But also in Isaiah 64, 6, it gives us another look. It says, you are like a faded leaf. A faded leaf. A leaf that's faded has no life in it. It's not useful for anything. Caterpillars won't even eat on it. And if you live where we live in, in Kentucky, we have a sulfur spring that comes out and it smells horrid. Uh, but it, it comes out and people will go down there and they'll fill up their jugs uh, with the sulfur water. And they say if you let it sit out for a few days, it don't smell so bad and it tastes good. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Uh, but... Uh, when this sulfur spring comes out, uh, there's a hole that it goes into. And when the leaves start falling and the leaves fall on this hole, let me tell you something. You think the sulfur smelled bad. You get all those rotten leaves. You get all, that, all those leaves in there that are just decaying. They have no life in them. They have no goodness in them. There's nothing that, that, that is worthy about them. And they all come together and they all bind up together. And then you got this uh, kind of just rancid cesspool of just dying leaves. That's the second way God views our righteousness in and of ourselves. The third thing that Isaiah 64, 6 says, says that uh, it is like when the wind, our sins carry us away like a wind. That, that when those leaves die, when they're hanging onto those trees, as the wind blows and cuts through them, it just carries us off. And I tend to think of not just a nice, cool breeze, not just a, a slight, gentle uh, removal. I tend to think of a tsunami type of experience or, or a hurricane. When you see those trees that are on the television and the hurricane is blowing in and the wind is blowing in and the, the hurricane hasn't, hasn't hit yet, but you see those palm trees and they're waving all over the place. Stuff is flying everywhere. That is what God sees when he looks at your righteousness, when he looks at my righteousness. That is what he sees. The, the overall general idea is 
If you want to stand before God on your own, if you want to stand before God as Hillcrest Baptist Church, and you want to remove the Spirit of God out of your life, you're nothing but a menstruous rag, a decaying leaf, and being blown away by the sins of your life. Now let's just get personal with that here for one second. Remember the church in Ephesus in Revelation? Remember the church in Ephesus in Revelation when God speaks to that church and He says, hey, you've got everything. You don't listen to, to unsound doctrine. Hey, you, you love taking care of people. You love doing this stuff. You love doing that. I have one thing against you. I have one problem with you. You've left your first love. You've forgotten, you've forgotten how much grace it took when my son hung on that cross to die for your sins. Oh, you're going through the motions. Oh, you're showing up. Oh, you're worshiping. Oh, you're having a great time. You're going to camp. You're going canoeing. You're doing all this great stuff. I mean, you're, you're really working hard in your own flesh and in your own desire. But you've forgotten what it feels like to be in love with me. If that's, your, if that's the case, if that's where we are at Hillcrest Baptist Church, our righteousness doesn't stand before God. Our righteousness doesn't stand before God. If that's who you are as a personal human being, you say, Jared, I, I, I've, never, I, I've never even heard this. I've never understood. In fact, all the churches I've ever been to, God, God is a God of love and God is a God of mercy and God is a God of grace. Yes, He is. He loves you more than you could ever know. He wants to experience your grace on your life more than you can comprehend or understand. He wants to show mercy to you. But listen, listen, if you think that you have anything that you can offer Him, you have nothing. Nothing. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. It disgusts Him. But not only that, look, he gets more personal here in verse 11. So we saw the whole general idea, right? All of mankind, no, not one, everybody is unrighteous before God. But then in verse 11, he gets a little more personal here. And he breaks it down into why we are not righteous. And that's usually how an assessment goes. Here's the general score. Here's the overall. Now let's talk about the reasons why. Look in verse 11. Verse 11 says, there is none that understandeth, and there's none that seeketh after God. There's none that understandeth and there's none that seeketh after God. So the two criteria is here is having knowledge and understanding and then actually putting that into effect, actually having that work itself out in our lives. And so let's talk about that first one there. There is none that understandeth. There's none that understandeth. There's none that get it. There's none that, that, that really understand. Uh, this whole section, pretty much down to verse 20, uh, derives from Psalms 14 and Psalms 53. And when it talks about understanding here, when it talks about having the knowledge, uh, the word that's used there means to be put together. To be able to take the pieces. Here's the pieces. Here's the understanding. Now how are you going to put that together? That, that, that's what Paul's talking about here. I, I tend to think about uh, a young child. We've all seen, uh, some of you have probably experienced this, to have young children or, or a baby, but you, you, can, you can see on Sesame Street as they have young children or something going on or, or even commercials, and they put uh, a, a, um, a puzzle before the child. They take all the pieces out. They scramble the pieces up, and they tell the child to put the puzzle back together. And what happens? Usually they take the square and they try to put it in the round peg. And they take the triangle and they try to put it in the square peg. And, and the kid never really gets frustrated by that. You know, you know what I mean? 
I mean, most of the time, the kid will keep continue trying to do that until someone intervenes, until someone shows them what is the right way, until someone helps them figure out what piece needs to go where. If you leave the kid to himself, if you leave the young child to himself, the child will sit there and try over and over and over again to put the wrong piece into the wrong place. They'll never get the, they'll never put it together. It'll never come together for them. God's telling us here that humanity in and of ourselves, we have no understanding, nor do we even want to have understanding about God. We don't want, any, we don't want to have to put the pieces together. God, God has given us all the pieces. In fact, look at this. Look, go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Look at this. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Look, being understood by the things that are made, even His internal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So some of you are probably saying, well, wait a second, Jared, you just said that we can't understand. Well, follow with me. Follow with me here. Look, look down in verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For this cause, God gave them over to vile affections. Uh, look in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. See, that shows us that even though God has given us the pieces, God has given us the puzzle, God has caused the sun to rise and, and to set, God has let the rain fall, there has been four seasons of summer, winter, fall, spring. We experience all these invisible things that clearly show and clearly dictate that there is a God we are going to have to answer to in this world. We in and of ourselves don't care and don't want to answer to Him. We don't want to take the pieces that He's given us, put it together, and say, God, I, 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 hey, my righteousness, it is filthy rags. I am disgusting. I'm disgusted of myself. We don't want to do that. That's not who we are. We don't want to take that understanding and put those pieces together. But not, God doesn't stop there. Look, go back to uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 11. The second part of that. Not only do we not want to put the pieces together, not only can we not put the pieces together, it, it says there is none that seeketh after God. There's none that seek after Him. Not only do we not have a knowledge, not only do we not want to have a knowledge, but there's none that even seek after Him. There's none that even chase after Him. That word seek there in the Greek, it, it, it can mean to desire, to want, or to try to obtain. To desire, to want, or to try to obtain. Now, here's the thing that I think a lot of us do as Christians. We talk about God will meet our needs, don't we? I mean, do we believe that? Y'all are questionable at this moment. Do you believe that God will meet your needs, that He can take care of your bank account and the food on your table and, and take care of your health and your kids? I mean, God will meet your needs, won't He? But we struggle with our wants, don't we? We struggle with our wants. And it's not that God doesn't want to fulfill our wants, but God wants our wants to be His wants. When our wants become His wants, then He's more than happy to fulfill those. He's more than happy to give us the, want, the desires of our heart because He has come in and changed our hearts and changed our desires. Uh, and that's what Paul is letting us know here, that 
without God in our lives, without the Holy Spirit in us, we don't even desire to want to do what God wants us to do. We don't have a want in us. We don't even want to try to obtain. We don't want to put forth the effort to chase after a God that not only wants to supply our needs, but wants to change us and give us even what we want. We don't, and that's insane, isn't it? Now, my wife, Heidi, she's been on vacation for 10 days. She's been in Florida. But, I mean, that's pretty sad that she just leave her husband as he struggles in <laughs> eastern Kentucky. I mean, she's brown over there. You see her? I mean, she, uh, I mean, that's sad. That's sad that she'd leave a poor old preacher struggling in Kentucky while her uh, and her sister and her mother go off to Florida. But they've been gone for 10 days, and I, I, I will, hey, I'll praise Heidi. She was a good testimony. She made sure that they were in church on Sunday. Uh, she was a good testimony and a witness to her family. Uh, but here's the point of that. Even when my wife was gone, even when she was away from me, I had a desire to communicate with her. We texted each other every day. I don't like talking on the phone, but usually if she called me, I answered. Right? I mean, we, we did. We FaceTimed. We FaceTimed. We had a desire. And here's the thing. The, more, the longer and longer that she was away from me, on day one, it was kind of like, hey, this is bachelor pad now. I can watch the TV I want to watch. I can do what I want to do. I can walk around in the underwear and not get yelled at. I mean, I can, I, I can have some fun here. I can, I can be a man. Right? Stretch my legs. Stretch my arms. But then day two... Day three, frozen dinners start getting a little old, you know. Uh, day four, day five, now I've got to do laundry, you know. Uh, and, and so all those things, as the time went away, as the time clicked down, as day uh, 10 got closer and day 11 we would be back together, there was a desire for me to want to be with my wife. I, I wanted my wife to be home with me. I, I had a desire. I would have drove down to Florida on day 11 if she'd have said, honey, I'm going to stay another week. No, you're not. No, you're not. But you get what I'm saying there? I mean, I had a desire. I was ready. I was ready to be home with my wife. I was ready to be loved again by my wife. I was ready to show my love to my wife. Now listen, when God talks about the Christian life, when He talks about what it means to be saved, when it talks about who we should be, doesn't He relate it to a marriage? Amen. Doesn't He relate the church as His bride? Yes. And so can you imagine God right now up in heaven as you sit here? And man, Jesus Christ is just longing. God, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. It's been a while. He has this desire. He's ready for his bride. I mean, I think Jesus, I mean, he's getting excited. Hey, God, it's time to start filling this place up. It's time to start putting some bodies in, into some of these mansions that we've got for him. Hey, Father, it's time. But then let's flip that around. In our church today, you right now, do you have that same desire? Do you have that same desire? Hey, God, I'm... I, I'm ready. Anytime you want to come, anytime you want to get here, hey, God, I'm ready. And if we do, if we really truly do have that desire, then because He has not come yet, what are we to be doing? We're to be a witness, aren't we? 
We're to be going out and finding our brothers and sisters and the other family members that are part. Do we have that same kind of desire for them? Do we want to obtain, are we trying to obtain and bring salvation to their doorstep? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us to bring, to make this bride bigger and bigger and bigger and to have more men? I mean, is that the desires of our heart? Is that, is that who we are at the core? Because if it's not, if it's not, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you're probably falling right here. That not only do you not have the understanding of God, but you don't even have a desire to seek God. You don't even have a want. Just because you come in here and you praise Him and you raise your hands here on Sunday morning, hey, you're going to be doing that for eternity. You're going to be doing that for eternity. You know what you won't do for eternity? Witness to somebody. Lead somebody to Christ. You won't be doing that for eternity. And it's not natural for us to want to do that. It's not natural for us to, 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 to just, we need some changing. We need some working within us to change our desires and our, and our wants into what He wants. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that when that, when that horn blast comes, there's going to be a lot of individuals sitting amongst us that we had on our church rolls, that we had marked down, and that if you were to ask us, that brother, that sister, man, they are the epitome of what Jesus Christ would want in a Christian, in a Christian's life. But when that horn blast goes, they ain't going to be going up. Because they've been playing the part here. But when they went home, they had no will, no desire, not even a knowledge or an understanding to want to put the pieces together. Verse 12. Verse 12 brings it all back together, and usually that's how an assessment works, isn't it? Uh, we have the, the beginning, the, the start off. This is how you fare. This is how you stand. This is why you stand that way. Uh, these are the criteria that you were supposed to meet. And then lastly, this is the final result. Look at this. Verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable, and there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, we got several different elements that, I mean, this is kind of just a three-part indictment of who we are as human beings apart from the saving grace of, of God. Listen to this. We have all gone out of the way. That reminds you of uh, Isaiah 53. We are all sheep have gone astray. We have gone, everyone, into his own way. A, a way could be a road, a journey, a path, but here's what I know about a way. Here's what I know about a journey or a path. It has a beginning and it has an end. It has a start and it has a finish, right? You don't go on a path, you don't go on a journey, you don't go on a trip unless you have a starting point and you have an ending point. And, and, and what God is clearly telling us here is that it is His will, it is His desire, according to 1 Peter, that all be saved. That all come to a saving grace and knowledge of the Lord. But because we don't have that understanding, because we have this sin nature that is working in us, that doesn't even want to understand, that doesn't even want to try, we have all gone out of the way. We have all, at various times, some of you even right now, are on a path that is heading straight to hell. Not because God wants you to be there. Not because God ordains you to be there. But because you and of yourself will deny the very existence and power of God and you don't want anything to do with Him. That's, the, that's what God is telling. That is what Paul meant when he wrote this, that we have all gone out of the way. We've all been there. 
Hey, you're not the only one walking down that road. I've walked down that road. Brother Glenn walked down that road. Each and every one of us in this building have walked down that road. And what does it mean when we've walked down that road? Look what it says. It says they are, they are together become unprofitable. They're useless. They're useless. Now, let's go back to that idea of the menstruous rag. And I know you ladies are, are tired of me saying that. <clears throat> A menstruous rag. What value does that have? Can you sell it? Can you do anything else with it? No, it goes in trash, don't it? It's done. It's over with. It's time for it to have its course to go to some dump to eventually be burned up. That's what, that's, that, that, that is the final assumption here is that when we deny God that we ourselves become unprofitable. The investment that God put into His Son, the, the, the payment that He paid on that cross to redeem us and to bring us out of that way, out of that life, because we have rejected it, because we have denied His power and His ability, we ourselves have become unprofitable. And so he has nothing else. There's nothing left for him to do with us but to send us to our final destruction. You say, God wouldn't do that. Then why does the Bible say, don't fear the man who can kill the body. Fear the one who can not only kill the body, but can take care of the soul and the spirit as well. Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God of mercy, but he's a God of justice. And when he, has, when he has invested in you, when He has loved you beyond all measure, when He has poured out His grace in His life for you, and you say, God, I don't want it. God, I don't want to understand it. God, I don't even want the desires that you have. All He has left to do is to throw it away. Depart from me, I never knew you. Into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then lastly, it says, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And this good here, it's a different word than the agathos, uh, but basically it has the same meaning. It's that morally goodness about us. What Paul is saying is that mankind, apart from the Spirit of God, can do nothing just for the sake of it being good. You understand that? If you don't have the Spirit of God in your life right now, I don't care what good you do. You are not doing it just for the sake of it being the right thing to do. You're doing it looking for some kind of payback, looking for someone to, to, to pat you on the back, to tell you how great you are, to tell you how good you are. If you don't have the Spirit of God working in you, then you're not just simply doing the work because it's good work. You are doing the work for, uh, to hear the praise of men, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. And here's the plain, simple fact of the matter. That right there is where uh, the wheat and the tares start blending together in the church house. Because we have a lot of people that do a lot of really good things. Looks really, really good. Put a smile on our face. We got a lot of people that, that they look like they're doing good just for good's sake. But I believe that's why Jesus says, if you're going to live my life, if you're going to follow me, then you got to know that persecutions are coming. That hard times are coming. That trouble is coming. Because here's the thing. If you're just doing good because you want people to praise you or you want to feel good or you want to look good in front of other people, then when the hard times come, when the persecution comes, you'll be the first one to exit the door. I want you to look around right now. We've had a few exit, haven't we? We got a few more that are just staying around, just waiting to see. Hey, if we get the right man in the pulpit, hey, if we, get the, if we get the next prince of preachers behind this pulpit, man, we'll go back to what we were. We'll grow, we'll grow farther. See, that, that's, that's a person that's seeking goodness just in of themselves. 
A person who truly wants the agathos goodness, the internal goodness, the goodness that only the Spirit of God says, and says, hey, listen, I want the man of God in this pulpit. Hey, I, I'll be glad when the man of and I'll support the man of God, but he's not the one I worship. He's not the one I serve. So I'm going to show up every Sunday, and I'm going to go to work. Not because it's easy. Not because it'll get the praise of everybody else. But I'm going to work because there was a work done for me on Calvary's cross that I can never repay. And because the one who is eternally good and the one who knows no evil, because he works in me, that's why I work. But according to, according to Paul here, we have a problem because we can't even do good just for good's sake. Just because it's the right thing to do. We've got to do it in order to get somebody else's praise, somebody else's credit. And then he ends with that statement, no, not one. We could go on. Verses 13 through 20 gives you the whole gambit of how God views uh, a lost life, a sinner's life. We, we, we could go on and on. But I, I want to leave you with this. Actually, I got two things I want to tell you. I want to give you an example of what we're talking about here, and then I want to tell you a story, and we're going to close, okay? Think about this. Y'all ever seen maybe, uh, maybe some of you farm boys and farm hands and farm girls, maybe you've actually seen this. I'm not. I'm just a puny... Uh, city boy, but uh, I've seen it in books and you see it on TV. You ever cut into a piece of fruit, maybe an apple, something along those lines, and there'd be a worm on the inside of it? I remember when I was younger, my mom used to buy me the Berenstein Bears books. I love the Berenstein Bears books. I I still love them. I probably still read them. But, um, But I remember they were talking about being a bad apple. And that was one of, their, one of the things that they showed is they cut open this apple and looked good on the outside, looked beautiful on the outside. But when you cut it open, there was this nasty old worm in it. You, you ever wonder how the worm got on the inside, but there's no hole on the outside? You ever wondered how the worm got there? I mean, obviously the seed didn't have a worm in the seed. Here's what happens. Scientists have figured out that what happens is uh, an a insect or a bug will come along and will plant its larva on that seed of that apple. The apple will grow. It will grow around it. And then the larva or the worm will sprout inside of that apple and begin eating its way out. That is, to me, a beautiful picture of humanity. God created us. In His beauty, God created us in His perfection. God gave us everything we needed for life and for relationship with Him. But when we reached out for something else because God wasn't enough, Satan planted that little worm inside of us called sin that denies the very existence of God, that denies the desires and wants of God in our life. And as we grow our life forms around us, and then we can paint a pretty picture. We can wear the stained glass masquerades all over our face. We can do all those things. We can make it look good. But slowly but surely, that worm is eating its way out. That's what Paul's talking about here when he says that we can't be morally good in and of ourselves. Something else has to come in. Something else has to intervene. Something has to change us there. I'll tell you this story and then we're going to close. <clears throat> I heard a story about this very rich man, very rich, very wealthy. Um, he loved music. 
And he loved the imperial music. He, he loved when the imperial band would get together that, that played for the king. And, and the band would get up there and they played the most beautiful music. It was just lovely. And the man really wanted to be a part of that, that band and, and the, those musicians. But he, he didn't know how to play an instrument. He couldn't play an instrument. Couldn't, kind of like me, couldn't play anything to save his life. And, and so this rich man decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bribe the conductor that if he'll just let me sit up there, he can give me any instrument he wants. He can give me a flute. He can give me a guitar. He can sit me at a piano. And I'll just move my hands. I'll just play along. I won't actually touch anything, but I'll just sit up there and nobody will ever know the difference. So he went to the conductor and he did this. He paid off the conductor. The conductor said, yeah, that's fine. Uh, you can have a seat up there. Just act like you're playing. Smile. And we'll take care of the rest. And for years, this went on. He played in many shows, played before the king, even had, a, uh, even had people coming up and talking to him, just amazed that they had never knew that their friend uh, could do this and that he could be a part of this band and this group. Well, one day, the conductor retired and he stepped down and a new conductor came in. And the band had started to not noticeably, but if you knew music and if you knew anything about it, there was a gradual decline uh, and their music. It just hadn't been as beautiful, hadn't been, uh, it needed something. And so this new conductor comes in and he says, hey, I want to interview, I want each and every one of you to audition before me and show me that you deserve to be here. And so one by one they came, one by one they stood before him, one by one they came and played their instruments. And finally it came to this rich man's turn and he's sweating bricks because he knows he doesn't deserve to be there. He knows he shouldn't even be there. And so he, 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 when it comes his day to, to come and perform, he, he fakes that he's sick and that he can't do it. And so they set up another time and, and he fakes that he's sick. And so finally the conductor says, I've had enough. He travels to his house, puts the instrument in his hand and says, perform. Obviously, you know what happens to the end of that story. The man plucks a few strings, sounds terrible. The conductor says, you were the problem. You will never be, not only will you never play in this band again, you're not ever allowed to come hear the music of the Imperial Orchestra ever again. Now listen. One day, even right now, even today, all the saints of God, all the ones who have asked God to forgive them of their sins, are truly a part of the family, truly part of that bride. Today, right now, in our hearts, in our spirits, man, we're singing a beautiful song. God looks down on us and He hears that music. Man, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful melody to Him. And right now, uh, the conductor that is on this stage, uh, it's been Brother Glenn for 28 years. Right now it's Brother Mike. Uh, soon to be, hopefully it'll be whoever the next man is that'll come up here and he'll be the conductor that is leading this orchestra. And some of you have bought your way into it. Not with money, but with a smile on your face, with the right words, with the right answers. Some of you have bought your way into the orchestra. And you're not really playing music. You're just sitting there in the pew smiling along. Moving with the same beat. Making sure you blend in with everybody else. Let me tell you something. I could interview each and every one of you. And I couldn't tell you if you were truly a part of the orchestra and the band or if you weren't. 
That's not my job. But one day, the true conductor of this orchestra is going to show up. One day, the one who has the ear and the one who has, can see not just on the outside, but can penetrate to the very marrow of the bone and the splitting between the soul and the spirit, he's going to stand before you one day and say, play. And if he's never worked inside of you and taught you how to play, you can fake all you want. But at the end of the day, you know what he's going to say? Not only can you not play with my orchestra anymore, you can't even be in my presence. 